Hi, everyone, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and this is your midweek Bible study. Today is Wednesday, February 15th. We're continuing in our study of 2 Corinthians, and today we're going to be studying chapter 12, the first 10 verses. And then we're going to be talking about Paul's vision and thorn in the flesh. I'll bet you remember about that thorn in the flesh. We're going to unpack that and a whole lot more. But let me give you a little summary here. These opening verses, verses 1 to 10 in chapter 12, contain Paul's description of an astonishing experience. He was transported, in some sense, to the third heaven or paradise, where he received an unspeakable revelation from God. To keep him humble afterwards, God gave him a thorn in the flesh and refused to remove it despite Paul's pleas. Instead, God told Paul his grace was more than enough and that his power was made perfect in Paul's weakness. Paul declares once again that he will boast in his weakness and be content in his suffering because when Paul is weak, it more clearly proves that Christ is powerful. There's a lot more to come, but we'll get to it in a moment. As always, though, we start with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for another amazing day. We get to come together and study your word. Lord, for all that are listening or watching today or there in person, Lord, we just ask your blessing over them and their families. Lord, we just want to become good stewards of what you give us through this word and be productive for the kingdom. God, help us through all of that. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. All right, if you have your Bible or Bible app, open them up to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 10. Follow along as I read. This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise, and I heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I want to boast, I would be no fool in doing so, because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it, because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Awesome scripture passage today. Let's unpack these verses together. Let's go back to verse 1. It says, This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. The question is, continuing from chapter 11, Paul felt compelled to move to the next category about which his opponents had been boasting. What category is it, according to verse 1? The category is visions and revelations. As we've been talking about over the past few sessions, Paul didn't like to boast about anything other than his weakness and of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul thought bragging was foolish. Now, by definition, a revelation was purely God's work. 
Yet apparently, Paul's critics were boasting in revelations. So in effect, they were saying that they had been judged worthy of these revelations. Folks, only a fool boasts in something that is so clearly the work of God. Verse 2, it says, I was caught up in the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Here Paul begins to talk about the revelation he had from God. What is the third heaven? And how long ago did Paul experience it? Paul doesn't give us many details about this experience, but he states that he was, as you just heard, caught up to the third heaven. In Paul's day, the notion of multiple heavens from three to seven heavens was common. Scholars who have been systematically analyzing the use of the words heaven and heavens in the Old and New Testaments believe that the scriptures use the word heaven to refer to three separate places. The first heaven is the earth's atmosphere. See Acts 1, 9 through 10. The second heaven is the entire universe, which contains all the stars. Check out Genesis 1, 14. The third heaven beyond these two heavens is where God himself lives. 1 Peter 3, 22. This is the heaven of heavens. Nehemiah 9, 6 and Psalm 68, 33. Now, whether or not Paul had his threefold division of the heavens in mind, it is clear that he considered the third heaven as the highest heaven. Paul saw his revelation as an extraordinary and unique revelation. Now, as to when this vision happened, Paul said it was 14 years prior. So this would have been 14 years before the writing of 2 Corinthians, which would put it around A.D. 40, close to the beginning of Paul's ministry. Although Luke records a number of visions and trances Paul received, Acts 9, 3-7, Acts 16, 9, Acts 22, 17-21, including the one Paul experienced while visiting Corinth, Acts 18, 9, and 10, none of those visions fit the description here. Paul described this revelation as such a joyous experience that he heard words he could not repeat. The fact that Paul couldn't express what he heard might explain the silence about this revelation in the book of Acts. Next up, verses 3 and 4. They read, Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body, but I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. The question we have today is, in these verses, Paul continues to talk about his vision. Though Paul initially expresses uncertainty, what is he sure of? In these two verses, Paul repeated that he had been transported, though he didn't know how, whether his body had been there or just his spirit. Now, as a side note, Jesus also used the word paradise as a synonym for heaven, Luke 23, 43. Then in Revelation 2, 7, Jesus promised the tree of life, the one in paradise, to all those who overcome. Given the extraordinary nature of this revelation in verse 4, this is surprisingly brief in the description of it all. All Paul revealed was that he had been transported to heaven, and he heard some things so astounding that they couldn't be told. What Paul saw and heard in heaven was meant for his own edification. Most likely, God was strengthening and encouraging him for the extraordinary trials and suffering he would have to face in order to preach the good news. For more reading, you can check out Acts 9, 15 and 16. Paul mentioned it here only to prove false the claims of his opponents in Corinth. Next up, let's look at verses 5 through 7. They read, That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, 
I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth, but I don't want to do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Here Paul continues to talk about the issue of boasting, why he would or would not do it. What is Paul's point through it all? Paul knew that he was on shaky ground when he started referring to a revelation that he couldn't even describe. He didn't want anyone to mistakenly think he was boasting about himself in this revelation. So he once again issued a disclaimer that he was not boasting in himself. But that begs the question, what then did Paul focus on that drew attention away from his vision? He turned his attention to his weaknesses. Did you see that in verse 5? In fact, to keep him from getting puffed up about the extraordinary privilege of the visions he had seen, God put a thorn in the flesh. A word for thorn here is the Greek word skolops. The term most literally defines a pointy piece of wood and might be better translated into English as a stake. The imagery Paul creates here is that of a sharp object stabbed into his body, unable to be removed, bringing chronic pain and discomfort. Paul describes this stake or thorn or splinter in his body as a messenger from Satan. You see that there? That phrasing has invited considerable debate through the years. Paul attributes certain consequences to Satan elsewhere. We studied that in 1 Corinthians 5.5 and 1 Corinthians 10.10. Since this malady was given by God, though, its constant harassment served the purpose of keeping Paul humble and dependent on Christ for his strength. Paul's meaning, then, would not be that this was literally something sent by or invented by Satan. Rather, this was something allowed by God for his own purposes. Even more debate has surrounded exactly what is the thorn in the flesh. Some think it might have been a problem with Paul's eyesight, Galatians 6.11. It might have been a physical weakness or tremor, 1 Corinthians 2.3. Perhaps it was something that disrupted Paul's speech, 2 Corinthians 10.10. It might have been a multiple symptom condition, such as multiple sclerosis or the after effects of a stroke. Paul's thorn could possibly have been something emotional, such as depression, 2 Corinthians 1.8. It might have been aggressive discouragement or conflict with another person, 1 Timothy 1.20 and 2 Timothy 4.14. Perhaps Paul faced a persistent temptation to some sin, Romans 7, 22-25. Scripture never tells us what this terrible burden was. The fact that Scripture does not reveal the exact nature of Paul's thorn seems deliberate. Vagueness, rather than specifics, allows his experience to reveal important truths applicable to all of us as believers. If we knew with 100% certainty what his condition was, it would become really easy for us to miss the greater points. And as such, three lessons from all of this stand out. First, humility in his servants is enormously important to God. Second, God is willing to allow Satan a limited level of power to create helpful weaknesses in his children. As Paul shows in the following verses, God's power is made perfect in a believer's weakness, not in our strength. And third, spiritual strength is no guarantee of health, wealth, or prosperity, as Paul's reference to his own prayer makes clear. Next up, verse 8. It reads, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. The question is, what did Paul beg the Lord to take away three times? It was the thorn, of course. Because this thorn was a hindrance to his ministry, Paul saw it as cursed by Satan. 
Appropriately, Paul responded to these demonic-inspired attacks with prayer, the chief weapon a Christian has against evil. Check out Luke 22:40 and Ephesians 6, 12-18 for more reading. Paul prayed three different times for the thorns' removal so he could be free to preach the good news and build up others in the faith. But in his wisdom, the Lord did not remove the problem. Sometimes the Lord denies requests so that his people will depend on his abundant grace. All right, let's look at verse 9. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Here God responds to Paul's requests in the previous verse. What was God's response? And what was the next thing Paul did? God proclaimed that his grace was fully capable of providing everything Paul needed to endure the suffering. God told Paul that his power was made perfect in weakness. The idea here that God's grace is all you need is found in another Greek word, archai, which implies endurance, strength, or satisfaction. Paul had written that he would only boast in his weaknesses, verse 5, and now he added enthusiasm. So he would boast gladly about his weaknesses, including this thorn in the flesh. But that makes me think of another question. Why would someone like Paul celebrate being forever saddled with some painful struggle? Because Christ's power becomes most obvious in those areas where believers are weakest. The word translated as perfected here is tetelestai, which mostly refers to completion or accomplishment. The focus is on something being achieved not having flaws removed. This is the same root word used by Christ when he declared in John 19.30, it is finished. This reveals several truths about how God works in the worldly lives of Christians. First, God is willing to make use of Satan and his demons to accomplish his purposes. Their attempts to harass God's work and servants can become part of God's strategy to accomplish his exact goals. Second, God's answers to prayer are always subject to his overall will. He may answer no to a request to relieve a believer's burden, whether or not that burden comes from a demonic source. If the suffering is helping a Christian to be more dependent on God, it may be accomplishing in us exactly what God wants. Third, it shows that God's primary concern for his children is not a mortal life of ease and leisure. His first goal is that we trust him. That means allowing Christ to be strong in places that we're weak and not to resist him for allowing us to experience that weakness. And now, the final verse for today, verse 10. It reads, That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Our last question today is this. Though Christ did not remove Paul's affliction, how did he promise to demonstrate his power? Christ promised to demonstrate his power in Paul's weaknesses. Knowing this, Paul saw insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles in a whole different light. When he had no options left, he would be forced to run to Jesus. Paul's utter dependence on Christ came into really clear light. Christ's clear manifestation of his power in Paul's weakness would become a source of inspiration and a reason to praise and glorify Jesus. Truly, when Paul was weak, that was really when he was strong. The fact that Christ's power is displayed in weak people should give believers courage. Instead of relying on their own energy, effort, or talent, they should turn to Christ for wisdom and strength. Weakness not only helps a person develop Christian character, it also deepens that person's worship. 
because admitting weakness affirms Christ's inexhaustible strength. Well, folks, we've reached the end of our study today. Believe it or not, we're already here. We've been talking about Paul's vision and thorn in the flesh. Let me recap it for you. We learned today that Paul described an astounding vision. He was caught up to the third heaven, and he received a revelation from God that he could not reveal on earth. And he refused to brag about it, but mentioned it in order to introduce the consequences of that experience. And to keep Paul humble, God gave him a thorn in the flesh, which the Bible does not explain explicitly. And we saw that Paul learned to be content in his suffering, since God's power was made perfect in his weakness. Next time, we're going to study the second half of chapter 12, 2 Corinthians 12, 11 to 21. And we're going to talk about Paul's concern for the Corinthians. Thanks again for being with me. It is always my privilege and joy to share with you. Have an amazing rest of your day and week. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.